Welcome back to Feywatch. This is Will here with my friends and I was going to say lovers, but <laughs> not actually. Not actually. No. Alas. Alack. My co-hosts Rachel and Dina. In today's episode, we'll be recapping part three, which includes a little interlude, and then it's chapters 13 to 22. We'll have a, a trial. We have some daddy issues. Some latent magical powers becoming less latent. And a penthouse with questionable interior design. I think we should just jump in. Rachel, do you want to take us away? I would love to. We open with something that's incredibly important to me and probably like the most important part of the book, except for like Rain, the wall man, which is to say some really excellent decor I live for this kind of stuff. Like, I love, like, an elaborate description of, like, a wonderful bathtub, you know? Yes. Something like that, which we don't really have a lot of bath. I don't think we have bathtubs here, but we have something pretty good, which is basically Araya kind of crawls to this penthouse apartment, and we get a a beautiful description of it, which I'm going to kind of go through ad nauseum, let's say. I'm really going to cover all of it, so (laughs) let's get into it. We welcome it. Good. So she arrives... It's very nice. It's a couple centuries out of date, but it's not dusty or anything. It's just sort of old school, shall we say. It just makes it fancier. Yeah, I love that. Also, like, trends come back. So, you know. Well, in medieval trends, it's like, how different was it two centuries ago? You know? Good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. Lanterns lined the walls. Brocade wallpaper. There's a wall of thick velvet curtains. As always. What is brocade? I have no idea what that word means. It's in every fantasy book. Uh, wow. I actually think we need to resolve this. It's sort of like a textural, like a pattern, like a type of pattern. That's my thought, but I don't know. Okay. It's woven fabric. Oh. This is from the Encyclopedia Britannica. So it's okay. real. Authoritative source. Having a raised floral or figure design. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So it's like... Honestly, I kind of hate brocade now that I'm looking at it. Wow. It's like pretty gaudy, you know? You're really yucking my yum right now, Will. Sorry, sorry. Because I'm really trying to bask in this, but it's okay. You're allowed to have an opinion about brocade. I bet it's tasteful. I bet it's tasteful the way that they did it. Um, Will doesn't seem convinced, but we'll move on from the brocade. I want to <laughs> also just say there's a study kitchen office, which study an office. Okay. We, we have both. A grand sitting room. Four bedrooms, each with an ensuite bathroom. Really nice. They have a guest bedroom. There's only three of them. As I sit here in my 500 square foot one bedroom apartment, I can think of a few good reasons to enter this tournament to the death. And one of them is both a study and an office. (laughs) For like two months. Yeah. (laughs) Just for two months in a place with multiple rooms, please. Yeah. I'll face death. Yeah. Why not? I love this because it's like Hunger Games, but you get a nice, cozy, sort of safe apartment in the middle of it. And I really like that. No, it's again, the parallels to Love Island are, you know, really pointed here. Yeah, absolutely. I think they were intentional. And the <laughs> it's in, I do think like Love Island is in dialogue with the text. Absolutely. Like constantly. Which came first? Hard to say. So the views from her room are, it's sort of similar to in the night, what's it called? The night palace where Vincent is. 
whatever yeah palace and night who who can say some shit Mm -hmm. like that it's the views are similar but they're like in different places so they're you know they're not similar actually you see a bunch of different shit so it's actually not it's dissimilar (laughs) it's just like like they have a view there's a view (laughs) (laughs) they both view the same city but they're buildings in different places so you see different things that is so deep yeah wow and speaking of deep we get sort of <laughs> clobbered on the head with some sort of visual imagery of, I think some some might describe sort of a growing theme in this book, which is to say that from the vantage point of the, of the moon palace, she can see the nightborn castle. But from this vantage point, she can also see the human slums. Mm. The juxtaposition didn't sit right with her. You know, it didn't sit right with her. Yeah. And I think it's a visual metaphor. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. Solidarity. She's examining her privilege in this moment. Yeah. Like something's not quite right about this situation. So just want to flag Mm -hmm. that. Much like we are wrapped in the cozy, safe environs of the penthouse, we are also further introduced to Misha So Misha is unabashedly colorful, outgoing, more like a human than a vampire. Hmm. Ding, ding, ding. And she immediately welcomes Araya into their little family, as she calls it. And basically at all times appears to be sort of physically restraining herself from bounding towards Araya and like hugging her and like being so excited for her presence. Why, though? Yeah. I I guess she's just like a friendly, nice person. But is she she's definitely not doing that to all the contestants. Is she just doing it to Araya because she's like not a threat because she likes her outfit? Like she's just getting good vibes. Is she just like a vibe picker upper? And she's like, I want to be this girl's friend. It's hard for me to say again. Haven't finished the book. (laughs) And sort of like in Love Island, when sometimes it's like, you know that they are being for real because like they would never be able to like act the way that they're acting unless they were being genuine. So like her like genuine just like excitement Mm -hmm. and like warmth for Araya. I just can't feel even there might be a mixed motive, but I do just feel like she loves Araya. Yeah. I don't know. I hope I, I hope she doesn't break my trust. And I love I love Misha. I just was like, oh, give me more. Yeah. And I was wondering who does speaking of giving me more, she's giving me more. <laughs> as in more from Akatar series. She kind of reminded me of her. Yeah, she definitely does. Another theme uh that we're familiar with are some daddy issues. Just a few. Just a couple. During this time, Araya goes to meet up with Vincent shortly after she has agreed to be allies with Rain and Misha. And Vincent is not happy that she teamed up with them. And he's just giving her a really hard time. And let's remember, you know, she was really in a bad place when she agreed to be allies with them. And so after a while, she kind of just blurts at him, would you rather I had bled to death? I needed to act and I tried to come to you for help and you weren't there. Oh, we love it. Throw it back in his face. But she immediately is like, oh, shit, and tries to claw it back because she's like, oh, I've I've insulted the king. And that he gets angry, (laughs) like another huge red flag. (laughs) Yeah. Vincent shows a glimmer of hurt before he hardens. And then she basically backtracks, apologizes. And he says, I would have been there if I could. And she observes internally that it's the closest thing she'd ever get to an apology. And she'd never seen him apologize to anyone ever. Not great. I think, you know, he's clearly a very lovely, emotionally aware person. That's for sure. Totes, totes. 
And then he touches her cheek and she flinches because it was so unexpected. And she can barely remember the last time he touched her other than to strike her in the sparring ring. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ugh. He gives her another vial of the healing potion that she really needs. And she observes it was much more useful than a hug anyway. Ay, ay, ay. So one thing for me, it's like, I get that he's kind of pissed about her allying with Rashawn Rebels, but she has to ally with people to survive. Yeah. Or like, if he's this like important king, surely he could have like seeded the competition with people there to help her, you know? Right. Good point. I also am annoyed because it's like the classic overprotective parent figure thing where it's like, I'm not going to tell you what troubles are happening. And surely that won't come back to bite me in the ass after. Right. And it's not like she's like 14. She's like 23. And potentially she should know those things if other people are going to know them and it's going to affect the game. Continuing on sort of a theme of less live, laugh, love subjects. We do learn a little bit more about the sexual assault that Araya endured. So she thinks about how her first time killing was an accident and happened only a few days after dot 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 after. And that was at a time when her own grief had been eating her alive. She thinks about how after the assault, she had reverted to old bad habits of self-harm, essentially, and kind of hating that her body was so weak. So at this point, we're kind of just deducing what happened. Not going to get into it, but something bad happened. It has affected her. And again, her fear of the vampiric bloodlust is both generalized history and knowledge and very, very personal. Yes. You know, again, so the first time she kills someone in the human slum, she was just there and she saw a vampire attack a young woman doing her washing and she just acted without thinking and kills a vampire. She explains that at first she was panicked and guilty and vomiting and all distraught. And then as the hours pass, she realizes that killing the vampire and saving the humans made her feel powerful and strong. Well, we all have our coping mechanisms. Yeah. So it's a little bit like on the nose. I mean, it doesn't take a genius, but the killing thing is about taking back her power and her agency. And that's kind of how she's coping. Yeah, that makes sense. Ori, Rain, and Misha are in an alliance. We're still feeling a little guarded, at least on Ori's end. They are training, but Ori wants to protect herself, and she doesn't want to reveal too much about herself that Rain can later use against her once he's ready to kill her, once they've made it through the trial that they need to team up on. It seems like that's a perfect idea, and that that's going to go really well. To train with them and also hide everything about herself. Yes, it's making things hard, causing lots of tension. I think this is going on for days, who can say? And Rain kind of keeps insisting that Araya needs to let him get close to her if they are to train and really collaborate. I mean, let's just say it. If they fucked, they probably would collaborate really well. Yeah, let's just put it out there. Mm -hmm. So finally, you know, tensions reach a boiling point. Rain is still insisting, you know, you need to let me get close to you, etc. He literally backs Araya into a wall and she keeps telling him to get away, to back up. And to clarify, this is a real wall, not a wall of his body. Yeah, like a literal wall. Not not rain as wall, wall as wall. Oh, yes, 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 yes. No, that's it's a it's a non rain wall. Okay, (laughs) wall as wall. An inferior wall, to be sure. (laughs) So she's actually being sandwiched by walls. He's backing her up (laughs) against a wall. 
And she's saying, get away, back up. But he just keeps getting closer and closer. And Misha's kind of watching and she's like, oh, shit. So finally, he's very close. And Araya tells him to, quote, back the fuck up, end quote, and slams her palm against the hard muscle of his chest. Oof. A burst of magic blinds her and deafens her. It's white, blue. It consumes her vision. Her back smashes against the wall, the non-rain wall. And rain, the rain wall, rain, goes <laughs> flying across the room and out through the window. Oh, shit. Wow. wow. So it does seem like she maybe has some magic. It does seem from that. Somewhere. And this is the first time she's had like a big magic outburst. Usually she, she says it's basically her power is negligible before this. It's just like little puffs of smoke or something. Mm-hmm. Little little sparks. I don't, I don't remember exactly. Oh, I love when we have a girl with latent magical powers and we get to see them come alive in the first book and we don't have to wait three books for it. That's true. It's It's less latent than it could be, which is good. Yeah, I'm here for it. And what is what is this genre if there is not a human gal with latent magical powers? Nothing, honestly. It's nothing. So glad that glad that we're on we're on pace. We're on track here. So basically, you know, he flies off once he's tossed from the window. They kind of avoid each other. They don't really talk until the next trial, the waning moon trial. Is he like a little like put off? He has no right to be grumpy. I don't know. I think later we will learn he will apologize and say that he was thinking of something else. He's having a bad day, but we don't know that yet. Mm, Okay, because it definitely is weird that he's like... Like, he should be excited that she has magic, at least for the moment. Yeah, we're still in our feels right now. Everybody needs to take some space to cool off, I think, is basically what we're dealing with. Right, right, right. I forget that, like, these folks are not in weekly therapy and processing their emotions isn't the most efficient process for them. It's not top of the list, which, you know, it could be because they are allowed to leave. They're allowed to leave Mm -hmm. the palace, so they could be going and getting some therapy in, but it doesn't seem like they are. (laughs) So they're summoned, they follow that little trail of smoke or whatever it is, and they arrive to the hall. Araya notices that lots of vampires are eyeing her pretty hungrily because although Rain and Misha managed to get a decent amount of blood to consume, I don't think all vampires have been so lucky. So a lot of them are quite hungry at this point. Even though they can still leave. Right. Or have we gotten to the point where they're not leaving? I, I think they can still leave, so it does seem like a bit of a plot hole. But we will just... Well, let's just let's just ride on through that. I mean, in their defense, when my blood sugar gets low, I get to this place where I desperately need food, but I lose the cognitive capacity to, like, go find myself food. And I'll just scroll Uber Eats for 45 minutes, getting in a worse and worse mood. So I can kind of really is what I'm saying. Right. And we haven't, we, it doesn't seem like they have that Uber Eats option. It feels like they would, would have to go all the way to the slums. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they're hungry. She notices and she observes. Rain seemed to notice this too and was surprisingly disconcerted by it, stepping a bit closer to me as he drew his sword. And equally surprising, I let him. Dun, dun, dun. Wow. Emotional danger ahead. So, you know. Yeah, he's he's feeling protective and she's kind of allowing it. That's interesting sort of development. The trial begins with a maze. And listen, one of them had to. One of them had there to had to be a maze. It's yeah, we're Harry I would Potter. Have been we're, if there wasn't a maze. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's Harry Potter. It's Legend of Zelda. It's all of the things. There's a, I mean, obviously, the concept of a maze originated with those two um, 
works of art. So yeah, that's where the IP <laughs> I think belongs. <laughs> yeah. So there's a maze. Listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give a blow by blow, but let's just kind of cover some of the high slash low points of this trial really quick. Great. So first she runs into Ibrahim. They both are sort of like, oh, I like you, but sort of apologetic but like i guess i kind of have to kill you so that's what i'm going to try to do and they kind of tussle a bit he blasts her with his magic she stabs him with poison blades but it's not a fatal wound she goes in to kill him but then the ground is shaking and the walls start crumbling because the maze is rearranging itself that's something that this maze does of course can i just say i don't think we've talked about this and i don't know if this is the first time that we learn of it or if we learn of it in the first child but like, thank God Ibrahim has magic. Because at first we were like, how is this guy going to make it one day? And then it's like, oh, duh, of course he, like, randomly has this strong magic. I felt a little actively lied to on Ibrahim. Because I feel like when we were first introduced, right? Ibrahim is this pitiful, he has no other options, he's obviously going to die. Like, sickly young Victorian boy. Right. And here, Araya seems to be suggesting... She has known all along he's this very competent, powerful magic user. And so it seems like a bit of a bait and switch. Yeah, I think that was done purposely to us. And I think your emotions are valid. Thank you. <laughs> I will say early on in the book, you introduced me to an Ibrahim and an Angelica. And I'm like, OK, not the love interest. I'm mentally I'm somewhere <laughs> else when you're describing them. So I can't say I really paid attention. Uh Per se. <laughs> so I was not baited and switched, but that's merely because I was not really paying attention. No, you have your priorities and we can we can respect that. I just have to be honest about it. You know, if they're going to be important later, they become important later. And that's when you kind of take note. The maze is rearranging itself. Listen, again, this is kind of hazy for me, but she can kind of see some fields. She's seen some other stuff. And importantly, she's seeing human bodies like dead humans, which is very upsetting to her understandably. She sees a little human girl crying next to one of the bodies, and she's very distraught about this. And she observes, how did one interact with a child this young? What was she? Four? Eight? I'd never seen a human child up close <laughs> like this. Which <laughs> I loved finding this little nugget, because as we discussed at the start of the book, Carissa writing, you know, in Vincent's meeting Araya for the first time is the same right. thing. What is she she what was she? Four, eight? And as we discussed before, <laughs> we are not child experts, but I believe that there's like a wide gulf. Right. It's like No, Carissa, I don't know much about Carissa, but she makes me feel seen as the like single gay aunt who comes home for Christmas and there's all these kids running around and you're like, Hello, sir. Yes. How are you? Exactly. <laughs> like, you don't know if they can even talk to you or not. <laughs> It is just like, yeah, it's now canon that four-year-olds and eight-year-olds are indistinguishable yes. in this world. Yeah. So I did really appreciate that. So she's extremely distraught, obviously. She knows it's a huge mistake and it's risky, but she says, fuck it, I have to save this child. To kind of speed through some stuff, she gets attacked by a bloodborne vampire and then by Angelica, who does manage to stab her pretty good. But... Rain does come to the rescue each time. He's kind of running back and forth. I don't remember what else he's doing, but he's, you know, when he can, he's popping in. He's trying to help her. He's being strong. He's being magic-y. He's, yeah. He's doing all the things. Yes, exactly. She manages to make it out of the maze with the girl. And as she's passing out, she begs Rain not to let them take the girl. 
So somehow the weakest creature in this entire tournament not only makes it out alive, but makes it alive with another human. I mean, kudos to her. Yes. Kudos. You know, very triggering for her because she's a human, et cetera, et cetera. I don't really feel like we need to belabor this point because... No, it's sort of like, I feel like it's bound up in the genre. Like there's a genre of fantasy, I think, especially post Game of Thrones, where some people pay for being good people and making bad strategic choices. But this is not it, I think. Yeah. Ori comes to, she storms out of the apartment and goes to the human slums and kills three vampires. Oh, because this is like her coping mechanism. Yes. Again, we're not processing those emotions. We're killing vampires. Great. Sounds good. Can we just pause? I find this morally fraught. <laughs> killing vampires. Oh, do tell. <laughs> First of all, we know that there are vampires she has close personal relationships with. Mm-hmm. They're living beings. They're like non-human people, much like dolphins, right? <laughs> right. On top of that, they have these these urges that are very hard to kind of get rid of. What seems like a kind of sexual, but also, you know, need for biological survival. Right. To have some kind of blood or something. And I, for instance, intellectually, no, I shouldn't be eating meat. I knew we were going there. Especially in the U.S. Oh. Yeah, thanks, Ezra Klein. <laughs> I knew this is where we were going. Continue. <laughs> thanks, Ezra Klein. But like... I I still do it, right? And so are we any better than these vampires? And then what does that mean in terms of her... Summarily killing them. Mm -hmm. Like, I can see you coming to some complex moral conclusion, but it just seems to be kind of a reflexive, we don't need to really think about this. Mm. So you're like, if she really wanted to do some good, she should run some kind of vampire harm reduction center. (laughs) <laughs> like a needle exchange for yeah. <laughs> for vamps for the vamps no i'm just saying i feel like we we sort of just skate by the moral hazard right. of constantly murdering vampires because they are feeding on humans which is also bad but i'm not sure that one bad makes the other bad you know totally justified mm, it is very an eye for an eye life for a life old school moral code that maybe some of us have left in the past for a reason Yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to, you know, try and be a little contrarian. Wow. Put it out there. Food for thought. And there's like blood vendors in the past. Like there are people who... Okay, but this was the other thing I was thinking about was there is a bit of a kind of class problem here wherein I do believe at another point they also talk about how, you know, the rich and the powerful have access to good quality Mm. blood whenever they want, but the kind of lower class vampire does not. And so maybe... There's sort of a Marxist analysis here, mm-hmm. which we won't ourselves conduct, but right, because I definitely could. I definitely like know. <laughs> I definitely know what what that means, but like I won't. Totally same. Sorry, I took sort of divert from the plot. No, I think that's fair, and I think they purposely try to make us think that they're the evil ones that are going after children to make us feel better about it and not ask these hard questions. Mm-hmm. Well, so thank you for pushing You're us. Welcome. Ori has killed three vampires this night. It turns out that Rain has been watching her as she makes her kills. After she kills the third one, he flies down and lands. 
And she expects that he won't take kindly to her killing vampires. But he says that he actually thinks she's doing an important public service. Woke Bay human ally, <laughs> um, Rain. She asks Rain about the girl. And so Rain takes her across the city to see the little girl. And it turns out she's basically been placed in an orphanage. Ori is upset about that, although she's glad that she's alive. In the course of this conversation, Rain reveals that he is turned. No way. Yes. yes. With a capital T. Just kidding. I knew from the very beginning. Yeah, you called it, Dina. She said, it had never occurred to me that Rain could be turned. And yet, so much now made sense. The unusual ragged edge to his appearance. His decidedly unvampiric sense of humor. And the performances. The constant performances like he had something to prove. Like he'd had to learn how to wear different faces. Dun, dun. Bum, bum, bum. A lot of good analysis going on here. Yes. And I will, again, as the member of the book club who has not finished the book, I do note many a time that Oriya is noting that Rain is able to wear a lot of different masks and kind of put on these performances. Can I just say I've been there and it's hard <laughs> and you convinced yourself. You've been the rain or you've been the Uriah? The Uriah. Mm. And you convince yourself, oh, yeah, they have all these different masks, all these different faces. But with me, no, with me, they're showing their true self. And oh. let me tell you, Uriah. From your experience, Will, how does that, how has that gone? You're wrong, Uriah, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but you're wrong. In her defense, at least at this point, she's still very skeptical. Yeah. Although later she may become less skeptical or, or let those concerns fall to the background a little bit. It's just someone, someone putting on different faces, red flag. Yes. Right. It's like he's been a fuckboy with lots of other people, but with me, certainly he'll be different. Yes. Um, so I think they're sitting on a roof during this conversation. Rain tells Ori that what she did in the trial and what she does in the human slums is admirable. He also apologizes for his behavior before the trial when he got thrown out the window. And Araya is surprised that he says these things without any sort of snark or caveats or anything. It's just like very genuine. Earnest boy. Yeah. So she says... Did you want me to say I'm sorry now? Because I'm not. I'd throw you out that window again. Classic. Classic Ori. Mm -hmm. We love it. So does Rain. Because he laughs. That fucking face, he said, shaking his head. No, I was not waiting for you to apologize. I'd be disappointed if you did. Okay, pausing here because he says that all the time. That fucking face. And it's like, what is it just? It's not just that you think she's hot. It's like there's something... Yeah, that's her Like, has he phase. seen her before? Like, what is this? He's a man of, I think he sort of just falls back on some sayings. My other one is, what's the one he always says? Like, Ix's fucking tits. Oh, Ix's tits. Like, <laughs> no idea who Ix was until I got to the end of the book and realized that there was actually a glossary that told you the entire time. I, was, oh, I assume I no this idea. is a god of some sort who has boobs. Yeah. It must be, right? But he just loves, he loves an Ix's fucking tits. Yeah, he does. I just like in fantasy genres, like I love their like curses that like involve mm -hmm. their gods. You know, it's always so funny to like see what the author chooses. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I love when they do that. And then I love that they just like keep fuck as canon. Yeah. Like they like get to a point where they're like, well, we need we can't get rid of that one. We can't, you know. <laughs> How else do we convey when something's important? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. X is tits. I like that. X is tits. Maybe I should start saying that. Yeah, incorporate that into your sort of day-to-day -day 
Let us know how that goes. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah, he loves to say that fucking face. I read it as sort of making like an impertinent little snaky face at him. And he just loves it. Mm, like a smirk. Like she's just being, I don't know. Like, I think I kind of do this. Or I did when I was, you know, I probably still do it. But like, I don't know. It's like you're being like sassy and like, you want me to apologize? I like it. I think it's cute. Anyways, if you'll indulge me, I think there's an important internal monologue after this. And I will read it. I love it. Give it to us. Okay. I'll indulge you whenever. Thank you. You want. Okay. (laughs) He pushed the wayward strands of his hair away from his face, the smile still clinging to his lips and moonlight outlining the angles of his profile. The sudden, overwhelming realization hit me that he was actually very handsome. I was always surrounded by beautiful people and learned long ago the hard way how important it was to numb myself to that. But in this moment, just for a split second, Rain's beauty struck me like a blow, so unexpected and staggering, my breath caught in my throat. I am obsessed with the fact that she's been spending every day with him and like clearly knows he's hot, but has a sudden overwhelming realization. She's like, what is this wall of not hot muscle I keep running into? Yeah, (laughs) but I love this. It's like she's finally getting where, you know, at this point I want her to go, which is closer to being in his pants. Exactly. And so we're all excited. Where we want to go. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Rain proposes that they train together in the city rather than at the palace because they can kind of kill two birds with one stone. They can do some good and they can also train together. So why not? He asks her to answer one thing honestly. Are they really going to work together? She looks at the sleeping child and seems to realize that he has done something to earn her trust. So she says yes. And she notices that they're sitting closer together than she had realized, but she does not move. And I just say, at this point, I was like, girl, trust him. Like, he's good, obviously. But I am in a skeptical frame of mind. And I'm like, it would be like really easy for him to just like, yeah, sure. I'll like do this one nice thing for this human girl and then she'll trust me. Oh, yeah. Also, like the nice thing was like, she saved the girl. He just like flew the girl, presumably to an orphanage that took seven minutes of his time. (laughs) The bar for men is low. It's true. That's fair. But he didn't. She does like keep thinking that he's going to break out into bloodlust at any moment. I think the fact that the girl is alive maybe means that he won't do that to her either. Yeah. Okay. So next, Araya meets with Vincent. He's very angry that she saved the child and risked her own life. And unsurprisingly, he's very dumb about it. He doesn't really get it. He says something along the lines of like, well, yeah, but like everybody dies. So what's the difference? What I don't get it. What's the difference between, you know, humans gratuitously dying in these trials and like everybody else and vampires also dying at some point? Does he feel that way about his own death? Yeah. Or his daughter's. But honestly, I did not take extensive notes because it's like, okay, buddy. Okay. You know? Can I just like, I can't really get out of my head. I think what we talked about last time, which is the kind of latent potential sexual tension. Wow. 
that exists in this relationship. And, you know, she explains that she didn't go see Vincent right when she could. Quote, I had made him wait one more day, which like, it's like, in her defense, it's a very 23 year old thing to do, but to deliberately not text someone back that you like to sort of play with them. It's just a weird thing to do with a parent figure, you know? Maybe, but I feel like maybe your relationships with your parents are too healthy for you to get it. It's possible. Mm. possible. (laughs) Maybe that's right. Like, I don't, there, there are times where, like, I don't text my parents back because they're annoying me or something. But it's not like a, I'm going to make them wait another day. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not, I'm not sensing, I'm not sensing pick up on this point. I'm just, like, not on this team, especially given some of the things that we learn later. But that's fine. I think you're allowed to be. I think I support you. I'm just reading the text. I'm just picking up what the text is giving me. <laughs> Close textual analysis. And I will say, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but we are not the only ones to wonder about it. Yes. Because later we learn that Rain mm-hmm. is wondering about it. So it's not, it's actually in text that like we could maybe be a little bit, you know, we might have some questions, I think. Oh, yeah, we'll get we there. We will get there. Araya also brings up her big magical outburst prior to the trial. And Vincent does not appear to be surprised. He says, we always knew you had talents and magic is unpredictable. And he says, you know, maybe it's because you made a blood sacrifice to Nyaxia that she sort of blessed you with these powers. But I think we got a little Easter egg here. We got a little question mark. Why aren't we surprised about her powers? Why why aren't we surprised about her talents? And we never, they never say explicitly that humans can or can't have magic, right? It's just like super random. Nobody knows who has it and why. Carissa does not ever confirm whether humans can have magic or can't have magic. It's just kind of... She doesn't seem overly concerned about kind of laying out rules of the road here. Yeah. Which is an ongoing gripe I have, but I'm trying to be, you know, nice about it. Yeah. And I think you are. Right. So I suppose humans can have magic if the gods deem it such. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, that just about does it for us today. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll miss you so much. We will miss you. And we'll miss you so much that we would like to get emails from you. So please email us. We're at feywatchpod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter. <laughs> We're not on Twitter. <laughs> Fuck. We're not on Twitter. Don't tweet us. Go over to Instagram. Go over to your TikTok. We're at feywatchpod. Give us a five-star rating if you feel like it. Um, if you don't, okay. Don't. Don't, don't rate. <laughs> just don't do it. We also just want to thank Good Air Music for providing our wonderful podcast music. Good Air Music is a one-man band by a man named Steve who was, for a time, uh, I hope he doesn't mind my disclosing this, a paramour of mine, <laughs> sophomore year of college. Thank you, sophomore Steve. And I just, if anything, I want this to be a lesson to all of you that you should maintain good relations with your former paramours where appropriate, because you never know when a decade later they might make intro outro music for your podcast. And with that, we'll leave it there. See you later. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.